And I've got some good news for you again this morning. You ready for good news? The good news is God still loves you. (laughs) Last week I told you the good news is God loved you and he loves me. This week the good news is God still loves you and he still loves me. And the funny thing about that is, I bet, I bet that you and I made a few mistakes this week. Anybody? And the good news is God still loves you. God still loves you and he still loves me and he still has a plan for you and he still has a plan for me despite our inadequacies, despite the mess, despite the mistakes that you made this week, despite the mistakes that I made this week, despite the things I thought that I shouldn't have thought this week, despite the things that you did that you shouldn't have done this week, despite all of the bits and pieces that go into our daily thoughts and actions and into our weekly collected thoughts and actions, despite all of that, the good news is that God still loves you and God still loves me and he still has a plan for us and that plan is completely normal and that plan is wonderful and that plan is for a hope and a future and that plan has never changed from the beginning of time. That's why we're studying Romans. That's why we're trying to find out what is it that God has in store for us? What is normal? What is the new normal? What are we supposed to be doing? How should we behave? What are the things that are important? So today is number seven in the series, the current messages, learning a new normal. So you can simply call it learning a new normal number seven if you're taking notes. Or I've given you a couple of choices today. Learning a new normal number seven or balanced Christianity or it's not greedy to want it all with God. Balance Christianity or it's not greedy to want it all with God. Romans chapter 3 is where we're up to. We're going to read from 9 to 31, verses 9 to 31. But let's just start by reading the first 10 verses. Romans 3, 9 to 20. What shall we conclude then? Are we any better? This is in reference to what we read last week about unrighteousness in all of us. What shall we conclude then? Are we any better? No, not at all. We've already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves, their tongues practice deceit, the poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness, their feet are swift to shed blood, ruin and misery mark their ways, and the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. I'll read the rest of the text for today in a minute. There's just so much in that, I needed to stop halfway and just unpack it a little bit for my own sake when I first read it, and I figure, therefore, for all of us, So what do we learn so far as we read Romans 3, verses 9 through to, say, 20, what we just read? Well, verse 9 shows us fairly clearly that we're all in the same boat. 
what shall we conclude here? Are we any better than anyone else? Are we any different to any particular race or creed or color? Are we any more special because of where we're born or how tall we are or how fast we can run or the different... No, no. We're all exactly the same. Underneath, we're all exactly the same and we're in the same boat. We're all together. So verses 10 to 18 then goes through a bit of a list which when you first read it, you go, whew, I don't know if I quite fit into that, God. I thought I was doing a little better than that. But it's true of all of us. That's actually a collection of Scripture from the Old Testament, which is why if you're reading it in your Bible in front of you, it's in quotation marks because it's a reference as it is written. And then there's the eight verses. They're all verses from the Old Testament from a few different books, some Psalms, some from Isaiah, some from Ecclesiastes. It's not one phrase or one passage. It's actually picked from about seven different places in Scripture and put, put together for our sake there. So Paul, as he's writing to the church at Rome, is clearly grabbing back some Scripture and saying, guys, it, it, we already know this. We already know this. This is the truth. This is the situation. We're all in the same boat. We're all exactly the same. And by the way, here's the human condition. And he takes those eight verses and he grabs some scripture from Psalms, from Isaiah, from Ecclesiastes, and he puts it there in front of the church at Rome and he says, this is the human condition. This is where we're all at. And we have good days and we have great days and we have some moments when we're really firing and moving forward, but underneath it all, that's the human condition. That we are separate to and distant from God. That left to our own devices, we will wander. That in charge of ourselves, we will make mistakes. And as much as we don't like to admit it, it's absolutely true. Absolutely true. We're all messy. We all need God's righteousness. And then in verse 19, he kind of comes back into the present when he's writing. He says, right, now, we take that we're all messy and we all need God's righteousness. And some would say, says Paul, some would say that the way home to God is simply through the law. Simply through the law. Just observe the law and all will be okay. Under the law, every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. It sounds fantastic. Introduce law, follow script, follow scripture and text, follow the commandments, follow the law as decreed and set down. Every mouth silent, everybody worshipping, held accountable and following God. Sounds fantastic. But the next verse says, that's not going to work. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. So Paul's teaching the church at Rome and us right now, from God, through Paul, to the Romans, to us, that the law on its own is not the way home. Simply following the law of God on its own is not the way home. Just Shutting your mouth and obeying the law sounds great. But God says it's not enough. 
No one will be declared righteous in my sight, says the Lord, by simply observing the law. Rather, through the law, because of the law, we become conscious of sin. We're aware of our mistakes. We see what is wrong. Now let's read on. Verse 21. But now a righteousness from God, apart from the law, has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished and he did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting? Is that excluded? On what principle? On that of observing the law? No, but on that of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from observing the law. Is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles too? Well, yes, of Gentiles too, since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through the same faith. Do we then nullify the law by this faith? No, not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. A lot of words, long passage. Let's try to understand the heart of it. No one will be declared righteous in God's sight by observing the law. Through the law, we become conscious of sin. But then it goes on, verse 21 to 31, to teach us that faith, faith in Christ Jesus is the pathway to the righteousness of God. Law helps us get there, but faith seals the deal. Summarise that, three simple points. One, two, three, just take two minutes. What does the law do? The law helps us become conscious of sin. The law testifies to the truth of complete righteousness and the law points us in the right direction. Faith in Jesus Christ, what does that do? Point two, what does faith in Christ Jesus do? Faith in Christ Jesus creates forgiveness from repentance. Faith in Christ Jesus leads to redemption and righteousness. Faith in Christ Jesus builds a relationship with the one true God. So what should you and I do, knowing that now? Reading what Paul wrote all those thousands of years ago to the Roman church, from God to Paul, to the Romans, now to us, to be understood today. What do we do with that? So, okay, we understand the law helps us. Helps us understand our wrongdoing and our sin. The law testifies to the truth, prophesies to the truth. The law points us in the right direction. Faith, faith in Christ Jesus, that leads to repentance. That leads to salvation. That leads to new relationship and connection. That builds a relationship with the one true God. What should you and I do? Uphold the law and live by faith. We need to do both. Uphold the law 
and live by faith. Live by faith and uphold the law. We're called to do both. Scripture there tells us expressively that it's not one or the other that equals our complete relationship with God. It's both. It says, what do we do? Does, does this nullify the law? Verse 31. Do we then nullify the law by this faith? No, not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. We are called as children of God to do both. To understand both the Old Testament and the New Testament. To understand the law and faith. To work on the process and the power. To have both. And yet so often in our own walk, in churches like ours all over the world, we tend to specialise into kind of one bit or the other. One section of Christianity. One part of the teaching of the word. But in fact, we're called to the complete understanding of God. The whole deal. I saw an ad on telly during the week while I was thinking about this, which was interesting. I'm always fascinated when what I'm hearing and feeling from God is kind of reflected in the world around me. And there's an ad on TV for the National Australia Bank. I must be drawn to their ads. They tend to feature in my, my psyche a fair bit. But there's an ad on right now for the NAB, National Australia Bank. That's not a paid commercial, by the way, just so you know. Um, so they're looking at this same issue, I suspect, from a banking perspective because their ad basically says you don't have to choose anymore one type of account. We want to take that away from you. We don't, you, don't, you don't have to choose anymore. We want you to be able to have it all. And their, their tagline at the end of this ad is, why choose when you can have it all? Now, I know that's playing on our kind of greed. I understand that. I'm not silly. But I thought that tagline was interesting given where I was going with this this morning. Why choose when you can have it all? Which, hence the title of this morning. It's not greedy to want it all from God. It's sensible. It's the way it's supposed to be. We are supposed to have a full and complete understanding with the law of God. We are supposed to have a full and complete understanding and relationship through Christ to God. The law and faith equals completeness. Why choose when you can have it all? I've heard Phil Pringle from Triple C in Oxford Falls in Sydney make the comment, that if the church is described as a body, as it is, and we know that in many places, Romans 12 being one of them, but many places, uh, sorry, 1 Corinthians 12, and we know it is, well, why doesn't that body work properly? <laughs> if, if this is the body, and not just us, but the church worldwide, the church universal, if this is the body of Christ, well, why does the body not work properly? Well, it tends to be because we focus on one part of the body. We tend to focus on one little bit. We say, we're a word church or we're a worshipping church or we're a youth-focused church or we're an old person church or we're a this church or a that church. We're a river church. We're a Rima church. We're a the... Where does it say that in Scripture? It says in Scripture that we're meant to be one, one body. There are bits, but all the bits work together. To be one. And it's as though the body, and I've, I've seen, I mentioned Phil Pringle in Sydney because I've seen him sort of demonstrate this. He's a very demonstrative kind of guy. And he said, it's like having a whole body, but it's like, uh, this is the, uh, let's just use the example, this is the youth department here of the church. But we've agreed 
haven't we? That we're not a youth church, so we're just not doing youth. So our arm, this arm over here, this is uh, community service, and this arm over here, oh, this is teaching the word, and this arm over here, this is all oh, this foot, that's a foot, by the way, this foot over here, that's prayer. So off we go, and, and, the, and, the, and it doesn't quite work, because that leg, she's not the working. It, it, the, the leg doesn't come with the rest of the body. If I shut my eyes, I'll bump into something. If I close my ears, I won't hear. And if both my legs are not working, I won't be able to do what I'm fully called to do. So where in Scripture does it say, cut up the body and send it to all parts and see what happens? It doesn't. It says that the church of God, the house of God, is called to be the body of Christ. All parts working together. So in a church like this, in a local church context, we should never be saying, oh, we're going to specialize in that. No, we're going to specialize in preaching the whole gospel and asking God to develop in us the ability to do what he's called us to do. Does that make sense? I started to really look at this and go, man, we we, we kind of missed the, the deal here. Not just us. Please understand, I'm talking to a lot of people, thinking, praying, going, wow. A lot of us have missed the point. Let me demonstrate. Um, three people. Gary Churchill, you're a beautiful man. Come here. I need some matureness, maturity on the... Here, come and join me. Uh, Coops, beautiful work. Come here. And I need someone who's a little shorter. I shouldn't have said that because now they're going to feel short as soon as they walk out. Oops. Um. <laughs> no, yeah, thank you. Me. Great. No, no worries. No, you're not short. You're not short. No, 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 who's short? Oh, now I can't find a short person. That's not fair. Um, ah, you're beautiful. Maureen, come here. No, short's good. It's not a problem. <laughs> I just wanted you to look a bit shorter, that's all. Can you guys swap places? Nice work. This is completely rehearsed. You can see this, can't you? It's beautiful. Come over this end, my friend. Because I got thinking, it's not just us that do it, in a sense, in a local church capacity or in our own lives. And when I say do it, I mean separate things out and focus only on one. But we do it in the whole church. We do it through the church universal. Let me demonstrate. On the left, we, we have, uh, and, and this is something I've kind of been working through and developing, meeting with a guy called Reverend Kevin Yelverton, who's a, a local uh, pastor, priest, and, and minister of the gospel. He's a great man. And with a lot of coffees and a lot of, uh, a lot of talking. And he helped me to understand and see that the church at the moment, in Australia in particular, is very much divided into three streams. Three streams, not necessarily according to denomination, but just according to practice and understanding and where they sit. Because on, on one hand, we have the church, what you might call the liturgical church, the church of liturgy, the church that represents the history and tradition of Christianity, the church that celebrates the ceremony and ritual of the tenets of the faith. Now, please understand, none of these are wrong. This is not criticism. This is observation and seeing what we're doing. So this, this over here, we have the, the church of the liturgy. And let's, let's say, in a sense, it's a bit like the church of, of Father God. There's a lot of emphasis in the liturgical church on God the Father, on focusing on our heavenly creator, and sometimes it can be a little distant and the, the buildings are, are huge and, and gothic in proportion and the priest often is, is sort of up high, distant from the people. But, but that's a system and, and, a, and a culture and a stream that's been in existence for a long time. Out of the church of the liturgy developed the church of the word. 
So we need a kind of fatherly pose here, Gary. Um, just uh, maybe, what, what's a good father? You're a father. Be, be a father for me. Just stand like a dad. Nice work. <laughs> I don't know what you're trying to cover there, my friend, but <laughs> it's all good. Now, in the middle here, we have Coops representing the Church of the Word, so we need a Christ pose. Maybe a crucifixion would be good. That's oh, nice, nice work. Nice work. Stay there. I want, I want to see you. I want to see this. So we have the Church of the Liturgy kind of with a focus on the fatherhood of God. And we have the Church of the Word, which grew out of the Church of the Liturgy and tends to focus on teaching from the Word, teaching Christ, the principles of Jesus Christ, a very heavy teaching-orientated church. And they actually started to build different buildings into the sort of early 1900s and mid-1900s in this country. We saw different buildings being built, no longer big kind of Gothic skyscrapery, churchy-looking buildings, but often a bit smaller and, and kind of more rectangle, a bit like this one. And, and the minister or the priest came down a little bit and started to get a little closer to the people and was very focused on teaching the Word all good. Then out of the Church of the Word, developed the Church of the Spirit. So can you do a bit of a Holy Spirit impersonation for me there? Nice. <laughs> That's beautiful. <laughs> if you can keep doing that while I'm talking, that'd be just brilliant. <laughs> spirit fingers. Woo! <laughs> nice work, bro. Um, See, so I've got the right guys. Look at that. We just got the right team. Ooh. You're meant to be a comforter and counsellor and friend. Thank you. But out of, the, out of the Church of the Word developed the Church of the Spirit, and the Church of the Spirit tend to, tended to focus and tend still to focus on the presence of God today, right now, whether it's uh, through worship or music or whether it's through, and even the buildings, again, they changed and it became more of a sort of participatory uh, deal with people sort of getting involved more in what was happening. Now, you look at this, and most churches in this country can position themselves in one of those streams. We're either a liturgical church or a church of the word or a church of the spirit. Now, you go, oh, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, we can put ourselves in there. We slot ourselves in there. But the fact that we can do that disturbs me. The fact that we can isolate where we fit and where we sit is wrong. We're actually called to be the whole church, the church of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the church of the liturgy, the word, and the presence of God, the church that celebrates history and tradition and ritual and ceremony and understands the tenets of the faith, also preaches and teaches God through Christ, and also preaches and teaches and encompasses the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. Nicely moved together. <laughs> Group hug. Lovely. Give him a round of applause. Thanks, guys. Visual demonstration of an absolute truth. When is there going to be a time in our church history when we actually get it together and we say, yeah, we're prepared to try to be a church of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We're prepared to try to be the complete church, not shopping in one corner or the other, not hiding in one corner or location or the other, not identifying with a stream within Christianity, but identifying with Christianity itself. You start going, wow, we've got a lot to learn. We do the same in our own lives, just with body, soul and spirit, don't we? We think, oh, I don't feel so well, so it must be just to do with my, my emotional health, so I, I need to take a break. Well, actually, it could be to do with what you're eating. It could be to do with the fact you haven't exercised for two years. So there's a physical body 
that needs to be taken care of, as well as a soul, a way we think, our thoughts, our mind, our will, our emotions, as well as our spirit, the real me, the spiritual man inside me. Spirit, soul and body, three parts, all require attention to be developed together at the same time to be the whole man. Make sense? So I'm looking at it, I'm going, we've got to pull all this together. We've got to have some balance, which is the other alternate name for this morning's message, balanced Christianity. We've got to develop some balance in the way we do this. Balance, by definition, means giving equal weight to or creating stability in or for. Balance. Such a sort of unattractive word in many ways, but so true. We need balance. Every day, you and I need balance. We need to balance the books financially. We have to have correct tyre and wheel balance in the car, so they tell me. Recorded music, if you buy a CD, somebody has balanced that, mixed it and balanced it for you to make sure that it sounds right. Cargo, shipments, planes, trains, trucks, anybody that's moving stuff has to make sure that that weight load is balanced, evenly distributed, otherwise not good consequences. We even use it in terms of reference. If you're waiting for something to be finished, it's in the balance. It's not quite finished yet, it's in the balance. Or if you've made a decision and you've weighed up a few options, it's, well, on balance, I would... So there's this sense of balance in everything that we do. And yet we seem to be so unbalanced in our approach to Christianity. So segmented and therefore frustrated. I think most of my frustrations come from segmented Christianity. I hope and pray and long for the day that we unify and work together. So very briefly, very quickly started thinking a lot about balance, remembered my old year nine or year ten science teacher mentioning that balance was related to hearing and thought, oh, that bears a little bit of significance. I might have a look at that. So I had a very quick look at the relationship between balance and hearing. My basic science remembrance tells me there's three parts to the ear, the outer ear, the middle ear and the inner ear. I could remember that much. The outer ear, the obvious bit, collects the sound, draws it in. The the middle ear transmits the sound passes it through the inner ear is where the deal happens two things it's responsible for both hearing and balance that i couldn't remember so i had a little bit more of a play and i found this on a website called medicinenet.com a little paper entitled the anatomy of hearing and balance thank you a sense of balance is maintained by complex relationships between sense organs that are located in the ears, the eyes, the joints, the skin and the muscles. The brain receives and processes the input from these peripheral sense organs. When the system is working successfully, the brain is able to tell us in what direction we are pointed, what direction we're moving toward, And if we're turning or standing still, balance. Balance problems can occur, however, when the brain receives conflicting messages from the sensory organs or if a disease affects one or more of those organs. I thought, wow, okay. Two things, and we only need to pull two things out of this and we're done. Number one, what keeps us balanced 
what keeps us balanced? From what we just read, working relationships. What we think, hear and see, all working together, keeps us on track. A multi-pronged approach. Not just the ears, not just the ears are responsible for balance, but a combination of multiple organs working together. That creates a relationship, sends a signal to the brain, brain matches it all up, says, good, we're on track, we're balanced. What do you know? It's all down to relationships. Again, my favourite subject. So in my personal life, I need the law and faith equally distributed, weighted properly, understood, received and acted upon and sending the same message to my brain to remain balanced. For my relationship with God to be at its strongest, I must be balanced. To be balanced, I must understand both the law and faith. And they must be sending the same message to my same brain at the same time so that I can stay on track. How does that work in church life? Well, obviously we're going to stay up and balanced and moving forward when the relationships between all the bits are working properly. When the relationships between all the bits, that's us, you and me, are working properly, sending the same message to the same brain, we're going to be moving forward, we're going to be fine, we're going to be balanced. Second thing that comes out of that, the obvious question, what keeps us balanced is number one. Second thing is what causes balance problems? Let's read that last sentence again. Balance problems can occur, however, when the brain receives conflicting messages from the different sensory organs or if a disease affects one or more of these organs. What causes balance problems? Conflicting messages and disease. When the communication is faulty or outside problems are brought in and introduced and not fixed quickly, we're in trouble. If what I'm hearing, seeing and thinking don't line up, if one area is more heavily weighted than the other, if life is sending wrong messages or I'm misunderstanding the messages that life is sending me, then things get out of balance fairly quickly. So in my personal life, it's conflict and it's confusion in my thinking that is going to make me unbalanced. If my heart sort of feels like it's telling me one thing but my brain is kind of thinking another way, my eyes are seeing something different, my ears are picking up something totally different again, well, that creates confusion. The Bible talks about that in James. It says a a double-minded man is unstable in all that he does. If there are things that are putting us out of whack, mixed messages conflicting situations that puts us off balance in church life same things conflict confusion miscommunication seeing one thing hearing another hearing one thing seeing another saying one thing delivering another watching one thing thinking another these things put us off balance all of us together what keeps us on balance One brain working and all the parts working together, reporting the same information to the same headquarters, God. And that brain, God in our case, 
sending back a message saying it's all okay. You're standing up, you're facing forward and you're moving in the right direction. You have balance. I hope and pray that all our parts, all our bits, our ears, our eyes, our fingers, our toes, every part, not just of the church life, the church family, but in your life, every part of you, not physical parts necessarily, emotional parts, messages you're putting out there, thoughts you're having, relationships you have, that they're all adding up correctly. That the messages that you're putting out and receiving add up, make sense and deliver a balanced approach. We want to be, we want to stay balanced in ourselves, in our family life, in our church life, in our community life. So the question we've got to ask as we sum it up and finish today, is there anything out of balance in me at the moment? Is there anything that I've said or done or thought or acted upon that was not quite right? didn't add up with what I saw or what I said didn't add up with what I felt or what I heard didn't add up with what I was thinking, creates imbalance. Is there anything out of balance in me, in you at the moment? Or conversely, what are you missing out on right now? If you've been a person that has focused on the law or you've been a person that has focused on faith, or you've been a person that's focused on one particular area of your life or your relationship with Christ, you're probably missing out on the total relationship with God. If we've been over-focused in one area, we are out of balance. What could you be missing out on? Don't miss out on the fullness of God. Don't miss out on all that God has to offer. My prayer this morning is that we would all receive a whole God. And we would live a holistic life. We would live a balanced life, body, soul and spirit, father, son and spirit, hearing, seeing, acting, balanced in all the things that God has brought to our attention. Does that make sense? Can I pray for you? Heavenly Father, right now, it's our prayer together. It's not just my prayer, God. It's our prayer together that we would understand Romans 3 this morning, what you've highlighted to us and what you've shown to us. I pray that we take it on board, Lord Jesus, that as we move away from this physical facility this morning, we don't move away from you. And although we uh, relocate, we go home or we go to the homes of friends or we go out for the day, whatever we're doing today, Lord Jesus, as we physically shift away from this place, I pray that what you've deposited in us this morning doesn't dissipate, doesn't flow away, doesn't leave us, Lord Jesus. We know from your teaching, from your word, that you never leave us, you never forsake us, you never run away on us, Lord Jesus, you're always there. It's us that lets the side down by not being conscious of your presence. God, I pray that today and right through this week, we will be heavily conscious of your presence, that we won't forget you or ignore you or look away from you but God we would be connected to you and whatever messages you're trying to get to us Heavenly Father we would hear we would listen carefully and we would obey Lord Jesus listening carefully hearing closely acting obediently God we want to walk with you thank you for your message this morning thank you in fact for our entire time together this morning 
for the music, for the heart, for the worship, for the atmosphere and attitude, for the connection that you've established with us, your people this morning, Lord Jesus. For the prayer, for the shifting of hearts and moving of obstacles, for the word, Lord Jesus, for your word, the truth. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for this precious time, this opportunity you give us. Send us away now, Heavenly Father, in your graciousness, full of your presence, with boldness as we step out into what you've got in store for us this week. Bless us in your mighty and beautiful name. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Amen. Amen. I reckon we might finish with a quiet song this morning. So please stand to your feet and we'll get the guys to sing exactly what they're playing, worship you until the very end. Bless you. Have a great week.